Would you pray with me? Father, uh, we thank you that you have enough power, that you have enough grace that we can rightly sing until you return or call us home, we'll stand in Christ alone. And Lord, I pray that that would be true. I pray that we would not try to stand under the power of any other. I pray that we would not grow dependent on the influence or power of another other than Christ. But that our hearts would stay holy and truly faithful to you and you alone. And Lord, that as we follow you, that we would over and over and over again find your power and grace to be enough. And find you to be worthy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the 80s and early 90s, in the church in America was gripped by a great and irrational fear, a debilitating fear at that. It was really uh, quite staggering to see how this particular fear manifested among believers. And it was the fear that God was a terrible, if not sadistic, travel agent. Now, no one ever worded it that way. Here's how it was worded. Someone would be giving their testimony, and they'd say, well, I've, I've always been worried that if I gave God complete control of my life, he would send me to Africa. Let me first say that having gone to Africa, having known several from Africa, and having experienced snow on Easter last week, you would only be so lucky if God would send you to Africa. Secondly, this, this concern, if we're honest, had a lot less to do with God being a, tra a traveling agent with sadistic motives and desiring to send you to the last place you would, you would want to go. Um, I mean, these were people in Nebraska saying that. So, But it, it was a concern that had a lot less to do with geographic calling and what my, one might perceive more as God's goodness and trusting God's goodness for those who follow him. And instead of, instead of saying, I, I love the Lord, but I'm worried that he will send me somewhere, we could also say, I, I'm willing to trust the Lord with my eternity in heaven but I have pretty strong reservations for his plans for me on earth. Or we might say, I know I can trust God to save my soul, but I don't know that I can trust him with my physical well-being. Or one might simply ask, will the Lord really take care of me if I follow him, if I give myself to him, if I risk myself, will it be okay? And I want to, with confidence this morning, as we come back to the Gospel of Mark, where we left off last November, I think it was, I don't know, 
for me, guys, this week was just great. I felt like I was putting on old shoes that are just really comfortable uh, as I was coming back into the gospel of Mark. But I want to, with confidence this morning, tell you that you can trust the Lord with your eternal life, which starts here on earth, meaning that as you follow the Lord, looking to eternity, you can trust that he will care for you here on earth. That's what I want you to know, that here on earth, following Jesus, you will partake in the goodness of God. I think that's a big part of what Mark is telling us as he tells us this story in chapter 8, starting in verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away... Hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. And the disciples answered him and said, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, Well, how many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took seven, the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them, gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples, and he went to the district of Dalmanutha. Trust that as you follow Jesus, he will care for you. Our Savior's care and capability are greater than our circumstances. Now, there are a lot of similarities between this and when Jesus fed the 5,000. And maybe, maybe you, were, you were thinking of the 5,000 even as we were reading this, because I know how well you guys remember sermons from six months ago. So you're just a very impressive group that way. Some, some skeptics of Scripture try to treat these, as, as these two feedings as one and the same, uh, but there are a few noticeable differences. Besides the size of the group, there's the amount of food originally on hand, how the disciples came about from getting the food. Um, Mark specifically treats these as two different stories, and what we'll see next week when Pastor Adam preaches is that Jesus treats them as two different stories. But in the 5,000, and, and shortly after the feeding of the 5,000, see, I don't, even, I don't just think that these are two different stories. I think these are two different crowds altogether. In John, the, in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus feeds the 5,000. They go to the other side. The whole crowd comes around the lake to get to him. And then Jesus says some pretty difficult words. 
and the people don't like it, and so they leave. Jesus deals with their consumeristic motives to just keep getting free meals from Jesus, and nearly all of them leave. As readers, we are led to believe that this is not only a separate miracle, but a separate crowd altogether. And this crowd is different in both makeup and character. And so it's, it's been a while since we've been in Mark, so it's, it, it'd be pretty easy to forget where we are. Jesus and his disciples are more or less doing a short-term mission trip through Gentile territory here. And so this crowd is probably predominantly Gentile. These are people who have been hearing about Jesus' miracles. They've been hearing some of the rumblings of his teaching. They've gathered in the countryside for a little mini-conference, impromptu conference. Um, Some of them may have brought some food with them, but this has been three days. Even those who brought a good amount of food with them have probably shared it with the people sitting around them, and that food's long gone. But they came to hear from Jesus. Some would say, and I think rightly so, that this crowd, being predominantly Gentile, based on the region this passage happens in, is a, is a foreshadowing of Revelation 7, where all the nations, tribes, and tongues are gathered around the throne praising Jesus. Here are, is a picture of the nations, a small but limited picture, but a picture nonetheless of the nations gathering around the Savior to hear his teaching. But what really sticks out is the conduct of the crowd. In Mark, the crowd up to this point has kind of been a character in and of itself and not a pleasant one. They're really a bunch of jerks. They're always getting in the way. They're prohibiting the disciples and Jesus from going where they want to go, doing what they want to do. In some cases, prohibiting them from eating or getting rest from ministry. They are intrusive, disrespectful. They don't care about boundaries and personal space. But this crowd, this crowd is different. They are not pressing on Jesus. They do not interrupt him at any point. This crowd has gathered to hear, and they've done so very intentionally and even self-sacrificially, some coming quite some distance. Some would even say that these people have really put themselves at risk to hear Jesus. Sometimes we hear someone, maybe a young person, and they start explaining their plans, and we realize you don't really have any plans for the next 20 years of your life. These people didn't have plans for the next week. They canceled everything to go sit in the sun and listen to Jesus. Some of them coming a long ways. They're out in a desolate, desolate place. But their risk is quickly negated as the concern for their well-being is not expressed by them, but expressed by Jesus himself. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of this, that Jesus cares about our well-being. So that even as we look at passages that say, take up your cross and follow me. If you you follow me, those who persecute me and hate me are going to hate you and persecute you. And blessed are you when you are persecuted. And we hear these, and these are tough things. And it's as we go in the mindset of following Jesus, knowing that we will receive certain amounts of opposition, we should also go knowing that we have a Savior who cares about us. So that whether you are facing consequences for following Jesus at work or with your extended family, or maybe you are 
considering giving your life and your career years to go serve the Lord abroad, know that your Savior who leads you cares for you. He sees their need. He sees their weakness, and He makes their need His urgency. One of the differences here is, is how the meal is, is thought about and, and conducted. And so here, Jesus says, I have compassion. He turns to the disciples. He goes, I have compassion on these people. They, they've been now with me three days. They have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they're going to faint on the way because some of them have come quite a long ways. And the disciples then echo this. And they, you know, with the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples heard Jesus' expression that, that these people should eat, and the disciples were like, well, let's send them out. Uh, because we don't have enough, let's send them out. And here the disciples say, we don't even have a place to send them. You can, you can almost hear Thaddeus and Bartholomew complaining that they forgot to pack their Costco with them. You know, had we brought Costco with us, then we'd have enough food. But here the people find themselves on a hillside with their shepherd. And their shepherd has compassion. And we need to remember that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. No need to want. Jesus knows their need. And know this, that he, he brings up their need before the text seems that they seem to bring up their need. Jesus sees you. He knows you. He cares about you. What's interesting here is Jesus turns to the disciples is this was really not very long after the feeding of the 5,000. At least how Mark lays it out. This, this doesn't appear to be a, a really long period of time between the two. The miracle of, the, of feeding the 5,000 shouldn't have been too distant in their minds. Yet here they are, completely baffled by their circumstance. They're forgetting that it's Jesus who's saying we need to feed these people. They're forgetting what happens when the Son of God blesses a little bit of food. And I'm sure none of us can relate to this. This idea of forgetting that the Lord is with us of looking at our circumstances, of looking at a monumental task in front of us and thinking, how will I ever get through this? We would never do that, right? They are filled, the disciples, with the same worries as before, even after seeing Jesus supply. We do the same thing over and over again. Especially those of us who have I feel like the longer we walk with the Lord, the more prone we are to this, partly because we have more opportunities to see God work, but then we continually forget. We forget that, oh, seven years ago I was going through something similar and, and it was so hard day to day, but now that I look back, I just see the goodness of God dripping all over it. And it's just so clear to me how good God was and how he provided and I want to know, I want you to ask yourself, are you living in fear of a situation that God has worked out before? 
Are you in a season of life that you've, you've been through something strikingly similar to this before, you've seen God come through, and you're still living in fear of that? I pray that we would have excellent long-term spiritual memory. That our the short-term memory loss that we so often suffer of would go away and everything would immediately just be put into long-term memory when it comes to God's faithfulness. We know this feeling all too well. And so let us do what the disciples didn't seem to do here and what so many times at least I haven't done and that is, let us focus on our great and glorious Savior. Do not underestimate what God can do with little to nothing at all. We don't need to worry. We need to see our Savior who, who cares and whose capability is greater than our circumstances. They're here, they're looking at a, at a sea of people, 4,000 people. I mean, when you, when you go to like a modern day like arena like Wells Fargo, you can get 4,000 people in there and still have quite a bit of empty seats. But when you go out to a field and spread out 4,000 people, it looks like a lot. So you're looking at this 4,000 people, you're looking at your seven loaves of bread, and you know that the Savior, His capability is greater than our circumstances. We also know that we can trust as we follow Jesus, knowing that He cares for us, is the blessings of Christ are bountiful and complete. So the disciples come with the seven loaves. Jesus directs the crowd, sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves. Having given thanks, He broke them, gives them to the disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. Having blessed them, He said these should also be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. This is just such a simple picture. And here's the simplicity of this picture. Jesus says something and the disciples do it. This is the way it should go. Jesus says something and his followers do it. And then the most remarkable thing happens. It works. And this is not the point of the passage. But it is an interesting feature that if we would just simply do what Jesus has told us to do, just act on his word, I think we'd be amazed at what we see happen. Jesus has the power. We have the ability and availability for obedience. The power is his. Our job is just to be obedient and available for that. And so they have this supply, these seven loaves, the seven versus the 4,000. And there is, there is no resource that God has given us that is too small for him to bless and use. There's nothing God has given you in your life that he can't bless and use in ways that surpass your understanding. And did you notice that they're passing out the bread and it appears in verse 7 that they then find the fish. I wonder if what's going on here is that the disciples' spiritual memory is starting to return. They're passing out the bread. They're like, this bread isn't running out. And then one of them goes, oh yeah, we have these fish over here. 
And we don't know if it's that the disciples forgot about their stash of fish or someone in the crowd said, hey, I also have fish we can use. And they take that to Jesus. But either way, they're passing out bread and then the fish comes. Jesus prays a second time for the meal. The fish is then multiplied and passed out to the people. I've found many times in my life and I'm sure there will be many more before I enter heaven that the best cure for my reoccurring spiritual amnesia is, is faith in action. That when, let, me, let me put it again more clearly. That when I am, I'm in that moment where I'm struggling, where I'm in a situation, I've seen God work this out before, but this time feels different. I'm, I'm looking for the panic button. I'm panicking because I can't find my panic button. I'm, I swear I left it here last week, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to freak out. Then in those moments that when I, and I remind myself, when I'm able to calm myself, remind myself that Jesus is in control, the Lord is with me, nothing can separate me from the love of God. He sent His Holy Spirit to be my helper. That when I start acting on the promises of God, that my recollection of what God has done and what he's capable of doing now starts to grow more and more as I act on it. Now, when I sit in the corner and shudder, then I just stay paralyzed. But when I get up and start moving, then God reminds me. And my, it's almost like a spiritual muscle memory that happens when you've been walking with the Lord for a while. And it doesn't make the trial dramatically easier. It's not like, oh, well now this illness or this trial or this relationship trauma is a piece of cake. That's not the case. But when you start walking in that, you realize, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. God is working things out. I didn't think this Wednesday was going to be a good day, and I got through it. And it wasn't nearly as terrible as I anticipated it being because God is with me. He's giving me wisdom. He's giving me grace. He's working things out. He's giving me favor. So Jesus takes the supply. Jesus continues to work with what they have. I think the disciples are waking up a little bit to, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember what Jesus did. He's doing it again. But then let's go to the crowd. 4,000 people. We can assume many of them haven't had food for at least 48 hours. And they were satisfied. They took up the broken pieces, had seven baskets the before and after of this passage is remarkable you have 4,000 people who have been sitting listening to Jesus for three days they're exhausted Jesus has compassion he takes seven loaves of bread a few fish and the 4,000 are satisfied and now they have seven baskets left over can you imagine that 4,000 people who are very hungry Satisfied. I mean, there's, there's some of you in here that if you go six hours without food, you'll drive Pizza Ranch into bankruptcy. (laughs) 
And there's, there's two groups experiencing the bounty here. One is the crowd, that they were satisfied. The second is the disciples who presented seven loaves and are now, after giving that to Christ, going home with seven basketfuls. Now this is not in any way saying, give the Lord, he's going to multiply. This is a get-rich-quick scheme. You know, we don't do multi-level marketing with our offering here. We don't believe in that. But I wonder if you've ever felt prompted that you needed to give to something. You just didn't know that you had very much to give. And in a variety of ways afterwards, you experienced, after walking with God in obedience, saying, God, here's what I have to offer, you experienced the bounty of his blessing. I have a quote from J.C. Ryle. We're going to pull up on the screen and leave it there for the remainder of the time. As we look at this bountiful and complete provision of Christ, we must never allow ourselves to doubt Christ's power to supply the spiritual needs of all his people. He has bread enough and to spare for every soul that trusts in him, weak, infirm, corrupt, empty as, believer, as the believer may feel themselves. Let them never despair while Jesus lives. In him, a boundless store of mercy and grace is laid up for those, for, for the use of all his believing members and ready to be given to all who ask in prayer. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, Jesus talks about not worrying about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about where you're going to sleep. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about those things. God is taking care of it. And he says at the end of that, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I don't know what's in front of each of you individually as you follow Jesus. I know what's in front of a handful of you as you follow Jesus. I know what's in front of me as I'm trying to follow Jesus. But I want you to think of what's in front of you as you're following Jesus. What's the next, what's that, um, that life stage change that's like right on the horizon for you? The trial that you're in the midst of, the thing that you've, you're working out right now? Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the past season, the past, you know, in the text, we'll use the, the wording of the text, the past three days that you haven't eaten. Trust that Jesus will care for you. He is bountiful and he is complete. He has a compassionate and complete supply. Following Jesus doesn't always come with a plane ticket. Following Jesus doesn't mean that you're going to get carted off to a country you don't want to go to. And in fact, I think some of us wish it did. Because I think there's some of us where we look at the ministry in front of us, whether it's across the street or to an extended family or a coworker, and we see just an impossible situation. And the idea of getting moved halfway around the world is pretty appealing to us. Oh, Lord, please send me to a tropical climate where the spiders are bigger than my head. I would prefer that right now. 
because then I wouldn't have to deal with that guy. The Lord not only cares for you, but the Lord has put you right where you are. Do you know that? Even if he's getting ready to move you, he has you right where you are. So stop wishing you had a different call and confidently follow Jesus where he has you. He will care for you. He knows your weakness. He knows your circumstances. He knows your needs. Follow him. He is so good. He is so good. This praise team comes up, let's pray. Father, there's so many times where I've failed to see your goodness in things until, until I finally humbled myself to follow you. And Lord, I pray that the, uh, I pray for all of us that, that that time gap between feeling that I just need to, to surrender and follow you and then actually doing it would become very small. That we would be quick to trust you. Quick to place our full confidence in you. And to seek your kingdom and your righteousness first and foremost. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.